Yeah, so we're going through the series, Putting Your Life in Order, and, and today the message is on ordering your emotions, or ordering your emotions. And how many of you guys have seen this uh, Pixar movie, Inside Out? Many? So I looked it up. I couldn't remember the whole movie anymore. I just remember the, some of the premise. Um, but, you know, it's, it's interesting. It's a, the premise of it, hopefully, if, by this time, if you haven't watched it, it's been, what, at least eight years, so you can watch it another time. But... Um, you know, it's the premise is that there's these emotions, these emotions that uh, are within a child. It follows a life of Riley, and as she's born and it continues on, it, it forms memories, and each memory is kind of solidified by one of these emotions. And, and <clears throat> as these emotions guide her life, it, sh- it shows how just kind of her life coming together, her family, her hobbies, and they protect her, whether it's disgust, you know, um, or fear, and they also have laughter with joy. And so, you know, each one of these emotions um, has a purpose in what they think, right? Joy attempts to keep her happy. Anger keeps her life fair. Disgust keeps her from being poisoned, both physically and socially, and fear keeps her safe. And then in the beginning of the movie, sadness uh, doesn't feel like she has a purpose, and, and something that she is to be ignored, she is to be kind of contained. Even as she, this Riley, this girl, grows up, she moves from Minnesota to San Francisco. And in her first day of school, so I have to look through the video, the first day of school, um, Joy actually puts a circle around a chalk on the floor and says, sadness, you have to stay here, and you can't control Riley, basically, right? And it goes on, and it continues on, and it goes on is of how she is transitioning and her life in San Francisco is hard and she goes through some sadness and somehow you know joy and sadness they as they're trying to fight over things they get you know displaced and disgust fear and anger are are kind of guiding her in her life and it comes together at the end where you know what what they realize is that how sadness you know allows people around her to understand and to comfort her and that it becomes also joy, tied to joy. And it's kind of a merging of emotions, right? And I, you know, I thought about this movie because many times in our lives, I feel like either we're driven you know, by emotions or we separate out these emotions, or sometimes we just think emotions are not good. Do you know, we're just like, okay, we shouldn't feel this. I remember growing up, if I were crying, my, my dad would be like, no, don't cry. You don't have to cry about this. This is nothing. And, you know, I have to catch myself. Sometimes I do that. And I'm not saying that, um, that you know, we, we can't address our emotions. But I think one, every so often, you know, if it's, hey, emotions are not good. You only want to focus on the good emotions or the positive ones. I think that makes it hard as we think about ordering our emotions, ordering our lives, kind of putting our lives in order. And, you know, more and more, even it's interesting, as I talk to someone who is applying to grad school or med school, you know, they have to take this emotional IQ test to, to even go through this uh, application process. I remember for seminary, I had to take it, and I think more and more companies in different places are having people take this because to understand their emotions and how that also affects their lives, their interactions with others. And I think today, as we look at this, I want to start off first by looking at a story of Jesus, right? As we talk about emotions, I want to first start off with the story of Jesus. 
And this is uh, <clears throat> in John 11, and is with Lazarus, his death, and Jesus' uh, response, right? And so <clears throat> it starts with the story as a backdrop. It says, um, Lazarus is sick, and it says right here, follow in verse 3, so the sisters, Mary and Martha, sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. And then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. When Mary reached the place, and I'm going to skip all the way to verse 32. <clears throat> when Mary reached the place where Jesus was and Jesus went to see them, she fell, at, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. I, I, I bring up this story as a backdrop because I realize more and more it's important to, to see the emotions even of Jesus and of God. Right? That it's not something that we just kind of push aside and just kind of continue on. But rather, as we're talking about ordering our emotions, we see that emotions are all throughout Scripture. Right? And in order, when we talk about ordering our emotions, I think I would first want us to recognize that God displays emotions in Scripture. He demonstrates it. He displays it. Now, obviously, they're not the same as us. You know, we're, we have sin, and our sin changes everything. But emotions itself, I think sometimes when we think about it, are not a bad thing. You know, oftentimes we just think, oh, you can't have this emotion. No, God displays emotion throughout Scripture. And we're going to take a look at that, <clears throat> just briefly scan through that a little bit. And these emotions can help us grow. They can actually help us grow, identify the things in our lives that we value, that we treasure, that we love. And lastly, God calls us to love him with everything, right? So ordering our emotions, we're going to look at this, how God displays his emotions in Scripture, right? We see this earlier on when, <clears throat> when Jesus wept, it says. That's one of the shortest verses in Scripture. And it says, when he wept, what's interesting is that it's not that he doesn't know, right? He mentions that earlier that Lazarus is not going to die, Right, and later on, in between the passages, in verse 14 and 17, even as he hears about this, he tells the, his disciples, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I'm glad I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. Right, he knows that Lazarus is dead. They were four days from the tomb. By the time the, the message got to him, Lazarus was already dead. And for him to go there, he waited, and there's all these different you know, reasons potentially why he waited and what he did. But what's interesting is that he knew that Lazarus was going to die or is dead. And when we think about Jesus weeping, it's not that this, this idea of weeping of, of death that perhaps you and I experience, but that he's perhaps weeping for, for hatred of sin, the realities of death, but that he displays his emotions, he has compassion, we see in places of the people there, that he is a full human going through those emotions. 
And I think this is what I want us to see, right? That as he goes through this, he knows that Lazarus is, is already dead, but he weeps. That he allows himself to, to, just, to cry with the people that are crying, to weep with the people. Right? And I, I think this shows us something important, at least to me, is that we shouldn't just bottle up our emotions. Right? We shouldn't just say, okay, I don't want to feel X, Y, Z, and then, you know, I think it could, it could help. It could last for a while. It could get us through a lot of different things, and perhaps there's trauma and there's other things. But that our emotions, that area, is something that God has given us. And that, that we can't sometimes control. It's how we feel. And uh, there's a range of them, and there's even more, do you know, of emotions displayed by God. Whether he's anger about the sins, about what people have done. How he sees compassion of the people that goes before him. Right? Why he grieves you know, when people leave and, and decide not to follow him, how he loves people, how he hates sin, how he's jealous for his people, how there's great joy, right? There's a range of emotion, and this is the God that we serve. And in doing so, <clears throat> what we see is as he displays his emotions, what we also should know is that he created us in his image. Right? It says in Genesis 1, verse 27, that God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Hence, I think, you know, what we probably perhaps should think about is that emotions are not a negative thing or something that's bad, especially the negative emotions, but rather that emotions are something that's God-given to us. It's a gift. It's a tool that God has given us. And it, it helps us identify certain things in our lives and helps us to see things that perhaps our mind, our knowledge, our wisdom cannot sometimes. Right? It evokes something. And this way, I, I first want to start off by saying, let's not think of emotions as negative. Right? That God displays emotions in Scripture. And the second point I want to mention as we continue on, is how emotions can help us grow. Right? I mentioned earlier how sometimes our, our spectrum is that, you know, you either have no emotions at all, you bottle up, you don't show it, it's a weakness, or perhaps it might be that your emotions drive what all that you do, you know, this is all the extremes, right? That it, does, it only matters what you feel, whether it's right or wrong, because you feel it, that's what it is. But somehow in our lives, it's actually a mix, right? It's a mix of all these different emotions. And to go on either extreme is perhaps not healthy. To bottle it up or to have our emotions drive all our actions, who we are. You know, I think what we see in Scripture and what perhaps what we can learn is that emotions really could tell us what we value, what we love, and what we treasure. You know, there's, a, there's times where when I talk to Jenny and I'm asking her, hey, let's do X, Y, Z. And there's sometimes it's something that I want to do, but I throw it in there. And she could see with the grin that's something that I want to do. And she's like, oh, look, you're that, that guilty smile, you know. But it's partly what I want to do. It's like, oh, can we just go here and go snowboarding or something? 
You know, and I'll bring the kids along and be like, oh, the kids will love it. But she knows that it's what I want to do, right? And sometimes we tie things together. And our emotions, it's just, it's, it's natural. It's there. I think it helps us sometimes to experience the fullness of life. The ups and the downs. Right? However, I think what's hard sometimes, and especially perhaps in church, and I didn't grow up in the church, but what I do realize is more and more, this is something I have to be careful of. That sometimes we might downplay or perhaps cut aside some of the negative emotions. That we automatically bring up the truth. That these are scripture. This is God's word. That it says like verses like these, Ephesians 4, 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. I would say it again, rejoice. That there's an idea that, hey, I, I can't go through this sadness, this grief. That I have to rejoice. I have to be stoic. I have to have joy. Or, or I remember even hearing Ephesians 4, verse 26. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. I think this is, there's a lot of truth to this, and there's a lot to can be worked out even <clears throat> so that we don't go to sleep angry. However, there are some things in anger itself, as we see, and this is something that I've been talking to Larry and the leadership team. Hopefully in the near future, I would like to have a, a sermon series that dives deeper, deeper into each one of these emotions right? Parse it out more and go into anger, go into grief, go into gladness, go into joy or compassion. But I remember taking a class and thinking in seminary and the professor saying, anger itself is not a sin. You know, I think so often we kind of categorize it together. We somehow blend it that if we're angry, that's not a good thing. No, I think anger actually reveals perhaps what we're passionate, what we value, what's important in our lives. And that emotion allows us to hopefully identify those that things that we don't even say. You know, I think it's important to recognize our emotions as signals, right? Have you guys seen this? I mean, sometimes in Maryland, I... I don't like driving when there's these signs, right? It's somehow when there's these signs, everyone slows down to read them. And it could be some just simple thing, buckle up. And somehow right before, everyone just presses on the brakes and it causes huge traffic delays, right? For something that I'm just like, okay, you could either you know on your phone or on their GPS that tells you how long, how far you are. But you know what? Sometimes when you don't have any of those things, you see a sign. It's like, okay, it's going to take me a long time to get there, right? You see this or crash ahead or when it says, you know, winter storm ahead, beware. You know, you're like, okay, maybe you'll rethink should I, how should I move forward, right? But emotions can become like a signal rather than a guide, right? I think when we allow emotions to dictate all our actions, or many of our actions, it becomes more of our identity rather than emotional tool, a tool that helps us identify certain things about how God has created us. And if we don't ever, if we don't ever dig into them, interpret them, 
it is almost impossible to order your emotions. Personally, during my sabbatical, I listened to this book, Emotionally Healthy Spiritually. Right? And, you know, and it says in the title of this book, in this, this, <clears throat> he says, emotional health and spiritual maturity cannot be separated. And at the bottom it says that in the title. It is impossible to be spiritually mature while remaining emotionally immature. Right? And it, it goes deeply into all these, perhaps, the emotions bringing up past trauma, certain things about our lives, certain things that we value, that I thought was so helpful. You know, and I, you know, my friend and I were driving, and we were listening to this book, and every chapter we would pause the book, and we would talk about certain things, the questions that were asked. And I realized I want to go, I would love to go deeper into this, because I think the more I realize how it is, is that my emotional maturity or immaturity affects everyone around affects my children, affects my friends, affects my family. And as much as I can know certain things and I can live it out, sometimes if I remain immature in, for me, whether it's anger, whether it's, you know, um, lack of joy, that that could be taking away from how I can grow spiritually, how I can experience God. And some of it, not all of it, some of it have sources that are underlying, that are revealed as we really think about why we feel certain ways. What are our triggers? We can use it as a signal in our life rather than a guide that directs exactly what we do. We can interpret these emotions to see the underlying things, to see what we perhaps love and treasure, and that that itself needs to be reordered. That it is not the feelings that need, perhaps needs to be changed, but rather what we love needs to be changed. You know, I, I think we talk about interpreting. I talk, I mention it, but throughout Psalms, I just want to bring it up. Throughout Psalms, you see people, and this is one of King David's Psalms, you see people wrestle with God, bring it before God. And this is why, I, I, you know, I'm a big proponent of not just bottling the, these things up, somehow addressing it, interpreting it, bring it before God. In Psalm 13, you know, you see David say these kind of questions, How long, Lord? Will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? When you feel distant from God, when you feel that God is not next to you or hears you, or that your prayers are somehow not being heard, when your life is in disarray, when you feel left and right, David goes on, how long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? And even how he brings it before, look on me and answer, Lord my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. And my enemy will say, I have overcome him. And my foes will rejoice when I fall. But as he brings it back, but I trust in your unfailing love, my heart rejoices in your salvation. 
I will sing the Lord's praise, for he has been good to me. You know, I, I love how, you know, throughout Psalms, you see people bring up what they're going through. They don't bottle, bottle it up, right? Nor does it always dictate all their choices. They bring it before the, the Lord. They bring it truthfully, honestly, and they ask. You know, I, I'm not saying that there's a, just a miracle solution that you, once you do this, it's going to happen. But I do wonder how often we actually try to think through our emotions, to wrestle with them, to sit with them, to ask ourselves, not just the circumstances, but for <clears throat> to ask ourselves, why am I feeling X, Y, Z? Are there certain trends and triggers? What belief is underlying this emotion? What does this emotion reveal about my identity? You know, as I think about this, I, th <clears throat> I think about just briefly, and many of you guys have heard, but it just happened a week ago, so I just kind of, it's just fresh in my mind that emotions can help us grow, is that, you know, one of our college friends, it was actually uh, Jenny's roommate after college um, <clears throat> that came to visit us, and as we were sharing you know, we used to all go to college together, and then there were, were a group of guys and girls. And now there's just the girls all together, and I'm by my side, by myself, because I'm the only one that married one of them. But all, my, all the guys are elsewhere, and then now the, the group of girls, they all have different husbands from all the different areas. And so sometimes I'm like relegated to, okay, the, the dads, right? But every so often I get to catch up with them as we're all talking. And I remember sharing with one of them, her name's Grace, and I was sharing with her recently. And, you know, she was just asking how I'm doing, how, how things are, especially with my dad. And we haven't spoken for a few years, and I know she's always prayed for us, and she's always prayed for me. And, you know, for some reason, as we were sharing, and, you know, I was sharing through some of the stories, and, it's not, and she heard some of them already. And as I went through some of the details in my grief, you know, I don't know why, that there's sometimes it's just, I, I don't know, I just start tearing up. I start crying, and I just, I was like, wait, what's happening right now? Right, but I realized even after my dad has passed for two years, three years now, that it still comes around, and perhaps grief comes in waves is what they say. But at the same time, as I grieved with, with her as I, at that moment, it also brought moments of joy, reminders of grace, Right, that my, my dad, after all these years, and she, knowing me in college, prayed with, <clears throat> prayed with me for my dad for 20 plus years to come to know Christ, that at the very end of his life, that he would receive him. And at that moment in time, as we were sharing, we were both tearing up, of just realizing that this grief, this emotion that shouldn't just be pushed away, has also produced joy produced a reminder of grace. That sadness oftentimes reveals what we truly love too. And if we're not sad at all, then I think the question also remains, what do we really love? If it's taken away, if it's gone in our lives and it doesn't matter, I also wonder if that's a protective feature at times. 
And I think these emotions help us grow by signaling in our lives what are important, even perhaps what's not said. What brings up hope? What brings us to the feeling of hopelessness? And in those ways, it could help us grow and understand and present those things specifically to God. And I remember as we're sharing is that in Revelations for me, 21.4, that he will wipe every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the, for the old order of things has passed away. That there will be new life that we will experience. There will be a new heaven. That as we present, as we have present these things, perhaps they're overwhelming and we see no change, nothing, that there is hope as our mind and our hearts wrestle together. Because I think lastly, God wants us to love him with everything. If we never deal with our emotions, I think it's hard to present with him our heart. And in Mark 12, when Jesus is asked important, <clears throat> important laws, he responds in verse 29 to 30, the most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. I think oftentimes perhaps it's something that we just focus on one or the other or little pieces, but what would it look like to love with all our hearts, with all our soul, with all our mind, with all our strength? I think when we think about it in that way, I think these emotions identify what are the things in our hearts that are truly important, that are there, that we shouldn't just brush away, but at the same time bring it before the Lord ask for understanding and clarity and be able to ask for a new heart. I think what, how I want to relate this, <clears throat> Tim Keller, he, sense, he, he says this in his book, Preaching, as he's talking about messages and path for pastors. As we think about the heart, and he, I think he brings up a point, what the heart most wants. Do you know, it's not just what your mind tells you, but what your heart most wants, the mind finds reasonable. The emotions find valuable, and the will finds doable. What makes people into what they are is the order of their loves, and what they love most, more, less, and least. This is more fundamental to who you are than even the beliefs to which you mentally subscribe. Your loves show what you actually believe in, not what you say you do. Change happens not just by giving the mind new arguments, but also by feeding the imagination new beauties. I think when we talk about ordering our emotions, it will also address and bring forth what we treasure, what we love, what we value as we look into that. As we present that before God, I think that is something that we have to recognize that our heart most wants, 
our mind finds reasonable. Somehow it is, we, it ties together. It's not just so separate. And for some people, they can do it. They can separate it out. They can do that. But for most, perhaps it's not that separate. That we both, we need both our mind and our heart and our emotions ordered in the love that we have for Christ. And what we can't perhaps ask to change how we feel or what we feel, or that we don't have these particular feelings, we can ask God for a new heart. And Jeremiah 24, verse 7, and it speaks of this in Old Testament many times, of how God, I will give them a heart to know me, that I am the Lord. They will be my people, and I will be their God. For they will return to me with all their heart. The truth is, <clears throat> for those of us who believe in Jesus, that has already happened, to, that he has given us a new heart. Right In Hebrews 10, when it talks about our high priest, Jesus as our high priest, and this new covenant that is, <clears throat> that is now established through Jesus. It says in Hebrews 10, verses 10 to 12, this is the covenant I will establish with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. This is Jesus as a high priest. I will put my laws in their mind, write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, know the Lord, because they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. Perhaps emotions are not the true problem. The problem is our warped hearts, our love, our disordered love. And perhaps part of that process of addressing our emotions is to ask God for that new heart, that new love, and that Jesus has given. And that as we address that, as we wrestle with that, that perhaps it's not just these feelings go away. Perhaps these feelings are built in with a new heart that they would be focused on Christ. That they wouldn't be driven, our lives would not be driven just by emotions, but rather the emotions signal things that we value, and hopefully that will reflect Jesus our Lord. I know much of this, when we talk about it, it's, it's hard, as I was thinking through this, of going through, and specifically, this is what I <clears throat> would prefer us in the near future, is to go through these specific feelings and emotions and see and, and dive deeper into the, what the scriptures speak of them and how they help us to grow. That perhaps not, <clears throat> perhaps we shouldn't label emotions as good or bad or just positive or negative, but that emotions are what God displays. That they are tainted with sin, but at the same time speak and help us identify in our lives that they can help us to grow and then in, re in all of that be able to give God all our heart, all our minds, our souls, and all our strength. In that way, I think our lives would be transformed. And so <clears throat> if you're interested in, in kind of looking at that book, 
with me, let me know. You know, I, I would love to, to do something about this and just start something and just do it on the side. It's something that I think it is so helpful. And the older I get, the more I realize how, at least I see how spiritual maturity and emotional maturity are tied together many times. And God has called us into relationship with him, with each other. And our emotions affect both those relationships. So ordering our emotions, I hope first and foremost that you would spend time thinking about that. That you would actually reflect on it and not just push it aside. Because too often we chase after the positive feelings without actually sitting in the negative ones at times. Let's pray. Lord, um, thank you, Lord. Thank you that you show us your emotions, Lord. And Lord, forgive us. We know that it is not the same, that we will not equate them to be the same. For our flesh is weak and that we are filled with sin. But you have promised through the Holy Spirit a new heart, a new spirit in our lives. Lord, help us to identify and seek out truth to how you created us. Help us to experience the fullness of life, the ups and the downs. That may the downs help us to appreciate the ups more. With the ups, Lord, give us anchor and peace and trust as we go through difficult times. Lord, help us, Lord. Help us to identify, help us to sit in the times where it's really hard. Help us to know that we are not alone, that your spirit is with us that you have given us people around, around us to walk in this journey with. And so Lord, may you transform our lives in ways that we would be able, Lord, to just offer up our heart, our soul, our mind, strength to love you Lord. and so Lord may your spirit speak Lord that as we spend this time in worship may your voice Lord speak may your spirit bring upon thoughts may your spirit intercede in the things that are unknown even to us at times and Lord help us Lord to experience the fullness of this relationship with you. We love you and we thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.